This week on the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, man, this is a great discussion about a new company, BeatDap, that can detect, stop fraud from bots, hijacked accounts, and even streaming farms. This is a huge problem in the business. It's getting bigger every day. BeatDap's got a solution. Welcome to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast, founded in 2011 and with over 500 weekly episodes where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this new music business. Every month, thousands of musicians and industry professionals listen to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship opportunities. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. You got Mike today. I'm flying alone. Jay is in Nashville for the Music Biz Convention. Uh, so I'm flying solo for this week's show. And let me tell you, this is going to be an incredibly informative and probably educational interview for a lot of our listeners and viewers out there. Whether you're a singer-songwriter, a band, uh, work in the industry, and we're talking about a problem that's getting bigger and bigger and uh, a company that that has a solution to this problem. Um, but before we get started with the interview, just a quick shout out and thank you to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town for your continued support. And just a reminder, please join the Music Biz Weekly Podcast community for our discussions that go on every week on the Bands in Town artist community. Head over to bandsintown.musicbizweeklypodcast.com. It's a free community, lots of great people. You can ask your questions about our shows. You can ask your questions about music marketing, the music business. There's a lot of people that are over there um, providing feedback and getting into some great discussions. So check that out. Um, but a quick shout out, to our sponsor, discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. Digital royalty payments can be so small at selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts, online and at gigs. It's become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you'd need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. And this week's episode is all about streams. So again, another reason why you need to hang until our interview begins in a minute or two here. Um, our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even t-shirts. So we got a great offer that we put together with Disc Makers for all of our listeners out there. Head over to discmakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, Use the promo code FREEBIZ, all one word, FREEBIZ, and you'll save up to $100 in shipping costs. Actually, you'll save up to $150. That was my mistake. Up to $150 in shipping costs on your CD order from discmakers.com. So this week, we're joined by... Uh, uh, an amazing company that's got an amazing product. We're joined by Morgan and Andrew, who are the co-founders and co-CEOs of BeatDap. And BeatDap basically 
is a company that helps DSPs fight streaming fraud and save money. They have a technology that detects and stops fraud from bots, hijacked accounts, and streaming farms. And we just talked about streaming farms last week with Bruce from HypeBot. So this is a very timely discussion with Morgan and Andrew about a solution to the streaming farm problem, to the bots, to the fake streams that are becoming so prevalent and such an issue within this industry right now. So hang tight. Let's listen to Morgan and Andrew, and we're going to talk about BeatDap, and we'll see you at the end. Visit musicbizweeklypodcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Hey, Music Biz Weekly podcast listeners. We are really honored this week to have joining us uh, Morgan Hayduke and Andrew Beatty, both our co-CEO and co-founder of BeatDap. Um, so guys, before we get into really talking about what BeatDap does, give us the high level five minute elevator pitch, so to speak. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear what, what your target is and what your goal is from going to your website. But for those who've never heard of you and never been to the site, give us that little short pitch. Um, yeah, so the short pitch on us is a few years ago, we were approached um, by a label and maybe even taking a step further back. Uh, Andrew and I both have roots in the music business um, from very different sides of the industry, know each other from grad school, um, have always sort of wanted to start something together and saw this opportunity to build some enterprise software in the music space that was really exciting. Uh, my background is in copyright legislation as a lobbyist. Um, Andrew worked primarily on the sort of growth marketing side and helping break artists using digital tools before they had fancy names and they were all just online uh, marketing channels. Um, so we came together a few years ago uh, with our third co-founder, Poria, who um, is really the technical wizard behind the curtain, uh, making all the cool things we do possible. Um, we came together to solve two problems and they're really interrelated. Now, the first that was flagged for us is there's no auditing solution uh, that's scalable in the music industry today. So there's the old fashioned way of hiring Deloitte or KPMG and going and doing a sort of an audit of servers. But short of that, and it's a very sort of manual, cumbersome, time-consuming process, and not one that you can do, you know, a hundred times a year, which is, you know, there's many more stores than that now that are using music. So we started trying to build something that would help labels um, and as a flow-through benefit to artists, you know, audit more efficiently. And we saw a lot of value for DSPs as well, because it would keep auditors out of their server rooms um, as a big benefit. Uh, and as we dug deeper into the problem and realized that actually there was a first problem that needed to be solved, and that was streaming fraud or the manipulation of streaming numbers. And we can talk lots about the reasons why someone might commit streaming fraud, sort of the tactics that are used. Um, but we realized that the same, those two problems had really the same solution uh, and we needed to build it because no one else was. Um, and so we've spent the last couple of years sort of bringing the industry together, educating them on the problem, getting folks comfortable with acknowledging that there's a problem, which I think if there's one takeaway from Music Biz this week, um, it's here, it's very clearly a problem and people are open to talking about it. So shattering that taboo has been you know, really valuable for us. And I think it's helping us accelerate our business. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we came together to do is, is build a scalable auditing solution. And then we realized we needed to first build a, a really effective tool for detecting fraud in streaming data. Um, and the pervasiveness of that problem is sort of staggering. Get into that today. So, you know, last week we had uh, Bruce on from HypeBot and bands in town. And, and one of the topics we touched on briefly were streaming farms. 
you know, Hypebot had a, an article they posted last week of an alleged video of a streaming farm that was actually based in New York City that the person running it claims, oh, yeah, you know, our clients are major record labels and major artists. And this is something Jay and myself have always preached for years is like, you know, you can't go buy streams. Just, you know, you may not understand what's going on behind the scenes, but when you go out to that website that says PayPal me 150 bucks and we'll give you 10,000 streams by tomorrow morning, that's 100% fake. Those, yeah. those are not real people. And more importantly, you actually risk as the artist getting banned from a streaming service because that does go against their terms of service. So I think the acknowledgement that that's a problem has always been there. I think the issue is so many artists are just desperate because they feel like that number is what gets them moving up the ladder. People will pay, people won't pay attention to me if I've only got a hundred streams, but I will get a conversation with somebody at a label if I can show I've got a million streams. And I mean, do you guys feel the same way there as it's it's almost like you got to go right back to the very root to the artists and say, that's the problem. You're creating the demand for these services. I would yes and no. I would say that um, it's obviously easier to get recognized if you have this perceived traction, but they, it's sort of like if you go into an investment meeting with a bunch of fake numbers, at some point they will investigate those numbers. They, they can see they, right through it. They get up like, you, like they know you've cheated and now you've burned the one opportunity you had. So it might've seemed like the fast track, but actually is not the fast track for you to get where you want to go. I think the other side of this is that there's a lot of financial fraud that is not perception-based driven from artists that is occurring on these platforms. Like the sophistication of fraud is, is massive. Like you're talking about server farms, like physical computers, virtual computers, hijacked accounts. Like I can go on the dark web today. We talked about a little bit the other day about user-centric model. User-centric model does not work if the accounts have been hijacked. So I can go on the dark web tomorrow or today and buy 400,000 accounts from a service spin those up. Those people do not know I have those accounts and I can tell those accounts to go play music the way I want. And so like that does not solve, you know, the perception based fraud. There is a lot of financial based fraud that's occurring um, and they become more and more sophisticated as the dollars become, you know, significantly higher year over year. And so um, we're kind of a <laughs> low hanging fruit for fraudsters right now which so, is why Morgan and I are trying to solve this problem. So without, I mean, I, I, I'm sure we could do a whole episode just on this next question, but give us, give us meaning the listeners who don't have the deep insight and knowledge. How do these bots, streaming farms, how do they acquire the hijacked accounts? How do those actually work? What are they doing behind the scenes? As, as the hype bot article and video showed, there's, you know, there could be a walls, walls of phones, mobile devices that are being controlled by a single desktop computer. But how does that all work in layman's terms for the artists who are who who are still going? I don't get why that's bad. Well, without giving a blueprint um, for how to do this to uh, folks listening who are thinking about perhaps building such a farm, 
Um, I think, first of all, you take it back to like the incentives, right? So why target the music industry in the first place? Well, the pot of revenue is now getting big enough that it's worth spending the time on trying to defraud. Um, second, you know, for sort of a, a layman audience and I'm a layman myself, like I'm not technical. So I guess hopefully my explanation of this will be calibrated to folks like myself. Um, it seems like wizardry, but it really isn't hard to go and acquire fake, let's say social media profile or real social media profiles to use to go try to log into a streaming service. So go pick any of the DSPs almost to a, to a single one, it doesn't matter. Um, most of them have an option to single sign on with a social profile. So like Andrew said, go to the dark web, acquire 400,000 accounts. seems like a huge number. It isn't really. Facebook had a data breach a few years back. They lost 500 million account credentials in that breach. Those don't go away. They just end up somewhere else where you can procure them. So you go, you buy these accounts, and now you go in and test to see which DSPs those accounts let you log into. And let's say of the 400,000, a quarter of them work on Spotify. So now I've got 100,000 real credentials that I can go in and you know, building a bot farm again, not like above my pay grade, but not far above the pay grade of most technical people. And you can now control those accounts and look at how the user listens in their normal time and start inserting the songs that you wanna have them play in the off hours. And so there's like levels of sophistication within that. There are obvious examples that we see where someone's hijacked an account and the, us the usual behavior of the listener is they're a nine to five listener at maybe at work. And so someone comes along, grabs the account and between two and 4 a.m., they're playing songs. Well, if you start seeing that pattern over time and with a cohort of accounts, you can realize that they've been taken over. But the really sophisticated ones are finding the gaps in the day that sort of meet, you know, look like your normal listening pattern and just inserting their songs in there. And most users, most listeners are none the wiser unless they really go and investigate their listening history. And honestly, like who has time to do that? Um, so that's, that's one example you can also create bot farms without having to have, you know, stolen accounts. You can do it by just creating accounts on services. And depending on the level of sophistication and security of the service themselves, you might be able to go and create 10,000 or 15,000 accounts with a little more than a random email and name generator that you can go and, you know, Google and find, you know, create yourself credentials and sign up for a service and now control those accounts again with the same sort of bots you'd use with stolen accounts. It's not, you know, it sounds technically prohibitive, but honestly it's not. And it's, there's, there are so many templates for this from other industries. Like it's in a way music is like, it's a badge of honor moment. We've gotten big enough. We're earning enough money. Online. Exactly. It's, right. It's worth defrauding us. Um, but banking and e-commerce and, you know, uh, ticket mass, like ticket master deals with this. Every time you try to buy concert tickets and you can't get the ticket that you want because someone in line got there in front of you, it probably wasn't a someone, it was a something. And that something was bought. So the, the template exists to do this and do it at scale. We're just the latest recipient of the attention and you know effort. Is is this kind of um, a whack-a-mole game, basically? I mean, you know, Jay and I have always said whether it's DSPs or anything out there, everybody, somebody's always looking to figure out how to game the system. They find the crack, they game it, the system shuts it down, they move to find the next crack in the system. So it's sort of like Again, the bad guys exploit as long as they can. It gets shut down. They go find the next hole in the code. They take advantage of it. Are we playing that game forever here, basically? I think we're playing. Uh, yes, you're correct. It's whack-a-mole 100%. And so, you know, you shut down the most the easiest pathways. They find a less easy pathway that's still functional. Uh, and there's lots of different types of uh, surfaces or vectors that they can attack. And so... Um, you're you're 100% playing whack-a-mole. But I think over time, like we've built 
over 40 models or, and what we'll hope to have over by 100 by the end of this year, looking for different types of fraud that are uh, attacking the system from these different ways. And I think that as we get more sophisticated across multiple DSPs where our models are getting smarter and smarter and smarter, you start taking all of the low hanging fruit away or the easiest, path, easiest pathways for these, these fraudsters, it becomes like multiples higher of an effort to defraud the system. And at some point we become no longer the easiest industry to hack. Right. So they move to something else that's easier because these guys don't generally care that they're defrauding music. They care that they're making money. Right. And if it's easier to do that in e-com with, you know, after pay or whatever, or manipulating, you know, uh, credit card devices or whatever it is like in, in any other you know, yeah, it's, 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 it's not like it's not like these people are music fans that are sitting here. Well, I want to make sure I can I can put 10 million plays on my favorite. They could care less about yeah. who's being played. It's all There's about companies. It's money and show companies in random countries that are doing DIY distribution, uh, sometimes stealing music from other artists like we've We've, you know, there's definitely cases where you know artists who should be getting paid are not getting paid. It's actually being redirected to a third-party shell corporation, uh, and so then good luck finding those people. Like, like now you got to go and go to a different jurisdiction, figure out who owns that company. There might not be a paper trail. It's probably owned by another shell out of another country that has even less restrictions on what sort of cap table requirement registrations you need. Like they, they, they know this. They build this. I think the, the goal is just stop them from getting the money and eventually they find somewhere else to go. Um, someone else the other day brought up like a lock on a house. Like you don't put locks on your house because no one can break in. You hope that somebody else down the street is the easier target than yeah. your house. Right. You know, right. The first question you asked about, you know, artists doing this. I mean, I think like generally for most artists who are you know tempted by, you know, Googling, how do I get more streams on Spotify? And then, you know, going and buying one of those services i think we can put enough pressure on you know catching those sort of examples and make the cost the barrier to entry the cost too high to be you know almost prohibitive for artists which i think is a good thing like you you sort of want artists to realize that this isn't a good you know investment um and then that leaves you with the folks who are financially motivated and really zeroing in on them um yeah i think that's like that's sort of you know there's there's two huge buckets of motivation here and you know, deterrence on the artist level, I think it's just a function of making it too expensive to be worth the time. And then on the financial side, it's like a higher bar of deterrence, but, um, you know, we have, to, and we have to focus on both. And, and, and to, to be clear for all of our listeners, your customer is an enterprise customer. Your customer is not a band, is not a singer songwriter. Although the band and the singer songwriter will benefit greatly by your service being utilized in an enterprise environment and i.e. a DSP that puts your service into, you know, it starts using it, helps all artists in the long run. So this isn't something where an artist is going, oh great, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I buy, you know, BDAP and, and start protecting myself? You don't. So moving from that, um, using like the DSPs seem like the obvious big customer out there right now. You know, for me, the first obvious question is why wouldn't every single DSP want to do this? Why isn't this right out of the gate, something that they want to take 
to, to, to put into place to protect their reputations, their systems, the artists, you know, their financials, whatever, you know, that's the question I would ask. I think it's not about want. I think it's about resource allocation and resource scarcity. So their main job is delivering high quality content to users. Their job is to create a great user experience consuming music. Their job is until recently not been to be fraud police and not been to even on the accounting side of things like they have to deliver usage reports because that's a requirement and there's payouts like uh, pro rata payouts and stuff. But generally speaking, the money's getting paid out to the, the same fixed pool being paid to certain people and you know, the, being the best at who they pay or reporting is not their business. They're in their customer. The person that they need to make happy is the listener. And I think when you have a business that is fast growing and highly competitive, where they're competing with each other on feature sets, territories, uh, exclusive types of listening, you know, being the best at fraud might not make the list when you're worried about, you know, uh, making enough money to keep it's, your it's, it's not it's so. not the sexy feature that somebody is going to go join one dsp over another because they're better at fighting fraud is what it comes down to so i have a machine learning guy that could go find fraud or could help me build a better recommendation engine so that the moment you land on wild country you hear oh wow this music is for me like i recognize these songs there's some cool new songs i didn't recommend like i didn't recognize but i love like that experience is what keeps retention uh and so like being best at that is in a lot of ways a priority in a highly competitive market where everyone's fighting for market share but the industry has grown so much it's now become to morgan's point of being willing to talk about it it has to be fixed like everyone now knows this is a massive problem and it needs to be addressed. I think where we see ourselves is that it's better for one company like us to be the coalition that helps build all these smart models and does better work for a hundred services than each of those services trying to develop their own tools because they can only look at their, their like little siloed data set. They don't understand like all the different ways streams are being manipulated across different platforms and their models aren't looking for it necessarily. So I think, in our case, you know, the undifferentiated heavy lifting as AWS, as a, a Bezos coined, you know, like the fact that we can be one service that helps everybody actually helps the entire industry in aggregate because our models will be smarter. We'll see more fraud than any one individual service can see. And we'll be able to catch significantly more fraud over time than all of them trying to invest in it together. So, you know, as you said, it's now being talked about and whether it's the music industry or any industry, Okay, talking about it is sort of the first step, but you also kind of, we all sort of sit back and go, okay, we could be talking about this for 10 years before people get, you know, a fire lit under their butt and right. actually do something about it. What, what do you guys think is going to be that fire that really gets everybody, and by that I mean the DSPs and, and the like, to go, all right, we got to do this now. We just got to do this. It's not sexy. It's not our core business, but this has to be dealt with because it's becoming such a, a, a an incredible problem. I mean, you know, this goes all the way, this goes to the, you know, hey, those playlists, you know, those are fake playlists. Those are fake streams on the playlist. You're paying somebody to be added to a playlist. That in itself is wrong. 
you know, the whole payola that that exists in the real world to kind of monitor and deal with that issue of pay to play on radio that doesn't exist in the digital world. Do you kind of feel like this almost might be a situation where, you know, and I, I'm not advocating for this, but does the government have to step in and say, okay, you're not moving fast enough and we're going to make this a law, a reality that you have to have something in place within the next five years to solve this problem? I mean, my first instinct is I hope not. Um, I hope the fire lighting is, a, will take a little bit of credit for lighting a fire. I also think it's just a recognition that the industry is big and the pool of revenue is huge and, you know, something has to be done. And like your point, DSPs are trying to talk about this and acknowledgement is the first step. The existence of a product that can help them, which is us, is the next step and making that available to all of them and us doing a good job of, you know, things like this, educating, sharing with the industry what we've built and hoping to bring customers on board. That's the solution. I mean, I might be like, tipping my hand a little bit to how I think about government intervention generally, but I think the nine scariest words in the English language are from the government and I'm here to help. I, so, I know that, you know, that's, that's where I, that's where I'm sort of like, I hate to go there and say we need the government to do it, but maybe just the threat of the government wanting to step in will cause people to go, okay, let's get a little bit more serious about stop talking and start acting. Yeah, maybe, but I think I'd rather like us do a good job of, of, selling in the benefits of this being a cost-effective and more efficient solution than building it yourself. And like, let's go market by market and win the business of DSPs all over the world because it's not just North America. I mean, there's pockets of, you know, new emerging services that have massive user bases and countries and regions all over the world. Let's go do this and sort of set a standard for the industry ourselves. Um, because I think, you know, the last thing in the world you want is to impose regulatory costs on a market by market basis. It's not as if there is one supranational, you know, entity that can impose right. one set of regulations. If you decide to go down the path of one country, you know, coming up with a solution, the next country is surely going to adopt a solution that materially differs in how you employ whatever their, you know, whatever the solution is. And now you have this like regulatory burden on the industry that already has, you know, raised within margins in a lot of cases. So I think that there's a, there's a market solution here. I mean, I hope we're it. Um, and, you know, generally speaking from the label side and from the DSP side, there's, you know, serious interest and a big lean in um, into addressing this. And so, you know, I'll, I'll knock wood or, you know, to keep my fingers crossed that we don't have to go down that path um, because I think the motivation is there. And I think part of it is, you know, you can talk, you talk about a problem until a solution emerges and then you can sort of test the solution. And we're really confident that what we can do is highly effective and cost-effective for the industry. And so like, let's test that first before we go and, you know, subpoena somebody. Yeah. Now, is this something that it would be beneficial for, for artists, um, for managers, for small or large labels to reach out maybe to distributors, reach out to if they've got contacts at DSPs and start saying, what are you doing? Are you going to do something? We know it's a problem. Yeah. I would love for them to call and say, why aren't you using BDAP? But I will say, like, like we've built it. We have 30 something patents in six countries. Like we, you know, we aren't like brand new. Like we've been building this technology for four years, fighting the good fight, uh, you know, and I feel like the industry is finally in this spot where everyone seems to be consolidating around us, I would say. I mean, obviously knock on wood and keep your fingers crossed, but we have for the first time ever, I would say large DSPs, you know, working with us, providing 
you know, data helping us help them. And I think that we really feel the momentum, like they're, they're leaning in, like they're no longer dragging, no one's dragging their feet here. In fact, I feel like we're getting pushed faster and faster and faster to deliver um, and which is a great position. So I, you know, position for our company, but also for the industry. So I think the question that if you're an artist or a manager or anyone, you should be asking your distributor and the DSP is like, why aren't you using, why haven't you signed on to use this already? Like, why aren't you guys? Now, is, is, is this a service that, you know, the way the business model works, the, the, the distributor takes the music and pushes the music out to the DSPs. Is this a service that a distributor could bring aboard or is this pretty much geared for that last mile where the consumption happens, the DSPs? Before you jump into the distributor thing, I want to just clarify that we never share anyone's data with anybody. So our models will look at different data sets and detect fraud, but we're never like putting the data together. And I believe what you're probably going to talk about the distributor is going to matter related to that. Yeah. But I just wanted to point out that like we, the data is never mixed. No distributor needs to worry that their data is going to be mixed with another distributor or used towards another. Okay. Like all of it's completely siloed. Our models though get really smart by finding fraud in different ways. And the smarter they get, the easier it is for us to find more fraud. Um, and so from that context, I know Morgan has talked a lot about this with distributors. So yeah, his way. No, no, it's a good point. And I think the one, like there are a couple probably things, first of all, a lot of the distributors are thinking about this and when they ingest content. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, you know, smart folks who have worked on the content ID side. Uh, so that's, you know, the audio fingerprinting piece. And those are, you know, they're, they're not infallible technologies, but they certainly go a long way towards avoiding a scenario where someone uploads Whitney Houston through uh, an independent distributor and then, you know, claims the revenue for, but that's, that still happens and we know it happens. Um, the other piece of this is, you know, there's a sort of an element of venue shopping. Um, and what I mean by that is like, let's say I, Andrew and I go and create a host of songs that are generative music. We use some sort of AI or some or bangs and pots and pans together in our kitchen. It doesn't really matter. We create some music and we go use an indie <laughs> distributor to load it onto a streaming service. And then we target that music that we've uploaded with bots. Now, at some point, DSP gets wise to the fact that that's you know, fraudulent traffic and they ask the distributor to pull those songs down. So then we get a notice from our distributor that says this has been removed from DSPX uh, and you can't use it anymore. Now, at that point, we could stop and sort of be chastened and go back to whatever our day jobs are, or we could just go to the next indie distributor and try again. And I think there's a place on the distributor side to sort of pool that metadata and say, you know, if this has been pulled down from one DSP for fraud, don't let it go to another DSP through another indie distributor. Let's create a list and it's as easy as an API call as sort of the last check before something gets pushed into a store to see if the precise metadata that's about to be uploaded has previously been flagged somewhere else. And today, to my knowledge, that list doesn't exist. It's not even a technical challenge. Like that is about as basic of a product as you could create. It's just a coordination sort of issue amongst independent distributors. And again, that's only gonna catch a sliver. It's not a catch all for every sort of aspect of fraud, but it's definitely an effort that a distributor, you know, group of distributors could make to get smarter. And again, you don't have distributor A doesn't need to know that it was flagged on distributor B or vice versa. They just need to know that somewhere in the industry at some previous point in time, that specific metadata has been flagged by a DSP and you shouldn't be allowed or you shouldn't be pushing it back onto their service. Um, so that's one place where we could see distributors, you know, working in the space. I think you're right that a lot of a lot of the models, a lot of what we build is really in usage and behavioral data on the DSPs themselves. Um, 
And so there's, there's defense at the edges and then there's defense actually once something gets onto the service. And a big thing that we're trying to build is just you know, models that are fast enough to catch it almost in real time. Like, let's say, you know, if we can catch suspicious activity within a day or two, as opposed to within a month or two, how much impact does that have downstream on algorithmically curated playlists and sales reports? And that's like, that's the big sort of pool of misallocated revenue that we want to make sure we're helping the SPs catch. And so there's definitely a place here for distributors. And I guess the last point I'll make on this is just that all of these data sets right now are sort of held by individual companies. Um, and because we have a very narrow use case for them, I think, you know, any interesting set of data that could give us a signal about the intention behind someone, you know, targeting music on a DSP with, with bots or you know, whatever they're trying to do is helpful. So we would love to be the sort of consolidated home to Andrew's point of lots of data that goes into sort of like, you know, it's anonymized, it's not shared back and forth amongst the stakeholders, but it helps us train smarter models um, and just get better at this and more efficient over time. You know, thinking about the, the hijacked account aspect of this, which is something that, you know, I hadn't really thought about deeply until you guys started illustrating it. Um, if you discover hijacked accounts, is the DSP in a position to say, are you giving them the information to say, all right, delete these accounts then? Or do those accounts still stay active, but any data they've generated are zeroed out? You follow what I'm saying? It almost seems to me that if you discover a million hijacked accounts, shouldn't those a million hijacked accounts be removed? Most times they don't know they've been hijacked. So if you're hijacked, it's not like I take the account and Morgan can no longer use his account. I'm taking Morgan's account, mapping when Morgan's not using it and only activating his account in the times I'm Got confident it. he's not on his service. So most times in a hijacked account, the first line of response should be password reset because like once the password reset, they no longer have the credentials uh, for that account. And so like, that's like step one. So understanding this account isn't a bot, most likely this account is probably just hijacked password reset. Like we do make recommendations to them and say, we're 98% confident that this is what's happening here. And our recommended action is X, but the DSP still has to make, we don't, we don't, we provide them all the tools for triage and the maybe suggestions based on what's best within their system and thresholds of like, you know, what do they want to know that 75%, like what's the watch list? Like maybe this over the next month will be confirmed as fraud, but right now don't touch it. Um, Cause it could just be a super fan and you do not want to right, right, right. Hurt a you don't want a false positive affecting anything. So we, we make sure that we're extremely conservative in terms of making sure it is for sure fraud. And then we say, hey, this is our suggested action in this case. And for hijacked accounts, it's the simplest thing is almost always a password reset um, before you move on. But you yeah, it, 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 it almost it almost seems to me. A, a solution is, you know, just whether it's hijacked or not, DSPs could require you to reset your password like every six months, just an automatic password reset requirement. But I mean, then that's not just DSPs, that, that, that's every, every service out there, because we all know how people hate dealing with passwords. Yeah. Somewhere the growth teams at DSPs are listening to this or will be listening to this and cringing at the thought of introducing mandatory password resets to their users on a regular basis because they'll just watch their retention fall well, off. Well, I know. So right. You're right. It's like it's the it's the thing that, you know, if we all had better sort of 
digital hygiene and we're more security conscious. I think there's a lot of this stuff that could, you know, you know, hopefully be uh, mitigated, but um, yeah, we, we all have, I, I don't know. I opened my Google password keychain the other day and I had 482 accounts with saved credentials and, you know, uh, there's a vision, I think, in some places for like a passwordless internet. And I think that's sort of the, the end state of like top network security. But until we get there, it's probably still going to be retroactive. We're going to catch these accounts. We're going to ask people to reset their passwords. We're going to keep prompting them to reset their passwords. But um, yeah, that's probably the most friction we'll be allowed to introduce into the, into the um, you know, user base of a, of a streaming service before somebody from the marketing team comes and turns off our internet. Yeah, I mean, you know, Part part the the battle, and this isn't just what is going on in the music business with DSPs. It's you know Wall Street loves to look at how many users do you have in your world, and if you start introducing systems that work to actually verify their real users, but brings the number down, that 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 that's an issue now that you're dealing with. You know the financial aspects of the company going, okay, how much is this worth to us? If, if, if we become a really legit user base, but we lose 10% of our user base because of that, what can that do to somebody's overall value as a company, financial value? Give you a non music example. That's fairly recent. Uh, and, And I think this is something to think about for like publicly traded companies generally of which music now has a number um, PayPal disclosed that I think they had 4% of their accounts were bots in Q1 of this year during their earnings, which is the sort of disclosure you have to make if you're a publicly traded company and you discover this sort of thing. And their market, shelf, market share fell by 25% on the yep. disclosure. Exactly. So it's a huge deal. And I think, you know, there are, you know, in all of these contracts, in all of these, you know, agreements, you have commercially best efforts to mitigate these sorts of things. And, you know, back to your earlier question of how do we deal with this as an industry? Well, like there's now a commercially you know, best effort tool out there that's available. And so hopefully, you know, adoption, a little bit of it comes from that too. Like we, we exist and, you know, it's, it's probably in like a lot of companies, you know, best interest, not just to spend the time building this themselves, but to take what's on the shelf and use it because it's, you know, as good as anything you're going to find. Um, and we're just going to keep getting better. And you- like we're from the industry. We understand that this is yeah. like, we, we built the models with the understanding that this is a super fan. This is not a false positive. Like this you know, like we, we have built models around streaming specific at that narrow sort of focus, as opposed to taking models out of the box from somewhere else and saying, Hey, look, all of these are fraud and throwing kind of the baby out of the bathwater. Like we are very specific with our models. We've trained them over time. And I think that that is significantly superior than, you know, someone trying to grab something off of a data science forum and start do, applying. Do models. you, do you disclose who your customers are? We don't. Um, I think generally, like, hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to talk more about some of them. Um, For now, I think, you know, there's a benefit to being first. And I have so much like respect for the people who put their hands up first to work with us because they're taking a chance on revealing something about themselves. Uh, But in the near term, until we're made, let's call it some critical mass of the industry and everyone has sort of the safety and numbers to say, okay, we're actually all doing this together. We're all doing it together. Yeah. Um, I think it's in the the early adopters best interest to just, you know, enjoy the results without maybe the, the, uh, the spotlight. Um, But soon we'll be able to talk about it. I think more soon. Um, And, and, and final question before we wrap up, it seems to me what you're, what you've built here has applications beyond just the music industry. 
I mean, video streaming platforms, you know, the, the Netflix, the Amazon Primes. I got to imagine there could potentially be same issues in those worlds as well. Am I wrong in that? No, I think, I think that's correct. I think, I think we could probably be used in a, a lot of different ways. Um, the only difference I would say in music is there's a pretty direct correlation to you play, you get paid. What, like, yes, exactly. So like the incentive is much stronger and closer versus if I run up a bunch of streams on a Netflix uh, you know, they're not paying a higher licensing fee in most cases. Like it's, it's a fee that it's already paid. And so I think that um, I could see it being used in live event, like uh, you know, ticketing. I could see it being used in um, any type of live streaming of sports, um, things like that, where, where there's payouts related to royalty payouts, like associated with that or advertising, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know requirements, like exactly how many people were watching this one thing and were real. Um so I think there's a lot of, you know, opportunity in video uh, for sure. And, um, but I mean, we will be, uh, uh, not, I think we will be a very large business just in music. Like, oh, oh, we, oh yes. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I music, think it's like, let's own music and then like worry about the other stuff. But, it, but, it, uh, exactly. It's just, it, it, you know, it, the technology you're building at its core could seek out anything basically for sure well, whether there's a big enough market to make it worth seeking out is a whole nother discussion um but right. you're right i mean the music space you know not just every year it seems like every month it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue of bots and stream farms and hacked accounts and you know the issues with fake fake numbers and playlists and everything else. I mean, it, it's becoming a bigger and bigger battle that, that the industry as a whole is dealing with, but artists are being very tempted to step into because, well, gee, I could spend, I could spend $2,000 with no guaranteed results for marketing efforts, or I could spend $2,000 and I know my little number is going to go up to a million. Right. Yeah. So hopefully we can make the cost of that prohibitively high so that we can, you know, the industry can do the, you know, innovative and legitimate marketing efforts that like help break artists. And also, I mean, so much of this comes back to the song and it's, you know, subjective preference of listeners. And I think that's the big part of this is like, let's just try to remove as much of the noise that might be like sort of changing the perception of what changing the date, changing the data that that artists and anybody in the industry who actually is utilizing the data that is available making that data more clean and accurate so you can make real decisions. You know, you Hey, are my, is my fan base really in Eastern Europe or is my fan base in the West coast of the U S I don't know what to trust. No, that's exactly right. And I mean, VPNs don't help, but we can sort of work with that. Uh, the last like sort of second order effect example I'll give you just cause I think it's super interesting is, you know, with the, with the, sort of boom in copyright acquisition lately. Um, and you think about how those deals are valued. It's really a look back at the streaming velocity, volume over time, and then applying a multiple and a Projection. sort of for the future yep. value. And if those numbers for any reason weren't legitimate, you know, there are real second order consequences for the acquirers. And I think there'll probably be some interest in that too, is where we continue to be successful and 
you know, stamp this out is make sure that the folks who are thinking about buying copyright and, you know, a time when everything seems like it's crashing, maybe music is the last truly non-correlated asset class. Like, let's make sure we're getting that right. Um, because no one wants to apply a 27x forward revenue multiple to something that's, you know, 15% juiced. Yep. Uh, that outcome for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is fascinating. You know, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that you're stepping up to do this. The industry needs it, needs it badly. Um, and, you know, as we said early on, the end results will benefit the artists. It will benefit the singer songwriters. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. The benefit will be felt by you. If, if, if the music, the streaming world becomes more real, I guess, and less fake. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, so if, if any of our listeners want to contact you, get more information, um, you know, and we do, we do have people from DSPs and whatnot, although I'm sure they're all already, let's hope they're already well aware of you, um, want to reach out. Where, where can we go to get information? You can go to our website, www.beatdap.com, as in dog, um, and, uh, and our emails are Morgan and Andrew at beatdap.com. If you want to just reach out to us directly, first name at beatdap.com. The, or if you have technical uh, questions, I, I won't throw our CTO's email onto the, uh, onto, <laughs> onto the thread. <laughs> you know, we can't have to send to him. Again, this is this is fascinating stuff, and I want to, you know, I want you to keep us updated on how this develops and progresses. Um, you know, the again, this might not be the sexy new feature on a DSP that gives you some new playlist tricks and whatever. Um, but this is really needed in this industry to, to clean things up. And I would, again, please keep us updated on how, how this is moving forward and, and how it's advancing because um, we want to stand on top of this. Yeah, for sure. And I just one quick shout out if I could. I just want to say, because they're, they're probably going to like it. Uh, all of our engineers, we have like, you know, 20 something people that work really day hard and like day in, day out on this finding all it's very real. Like the product's real. Like we're finding fraud actively. And I think that, you know, uh, all the hard work they do, it's really not Morgan and I, it's, it's a, a massive amount of, these, they're, they're the, they're the so ones that are actually that. whacking the moles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just get to like, you know, summarize their, their work and uh, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah it, it really is. It, it really is the tech teams that are, finding the issues, trying to stop the issues, going on to the next issue that pops its head up, trying to manage that. So, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying tech teams, the developers are the ones that can be pulling their hair out when they close down one loophole and another one opens up because of it. For sure. Yeah. Well, Morgan, Andrew, thank you so much for um, introducing all of us to BeatDap because uh, like I said, this is this is a this is a solution to a problem that that needs to be addressed. Thank you so much for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank awesome. you guys. Visit discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a $150 value. I want to thank Morgan and Andrew from BeatDap for uh, sitting down with us. That was a, I found that a fascinating discussion. 
about a problem that, you know, is getting bigger and bigger every week here. Um, it's something Jay and I talk about all the time, the bots, the, you know, the, the streaming farms that are out there. Um, I wasn't even really thinking a lot about the, the hijacked accounts, but boy, after they explained how that works, you know, it's an issue that's got to be dealt with and they've got a solution and let's hope this gets more and more attention in the industry. So uh, the solution can be put in place. Um, so please go check them out. If this is something that you can utilize, because again, as we pointed out, this isn't for the individual band member. Although as a band, as an artist, um, you definitely can bring up this issue to your label. You can bring it up to your distributor. You can ask, what are they doing about it? And the more you ask, the more you're going to be rattling the cage to get things done here. Um, so check out BeatDap. Um, they've got a solution to a, a huge problem that we're dealing with right now. Um, before I wrap up, uh, just a reminder, please check us out. Head over to the artist community on Bands in Town. Leave your comment on this week's episode. Um, you know what? Here's a homework question, although it might not apply to a lot of people, but have you personally run into issues with bots affecting your stream counts? Have you run into fake numbers that have, have caused you issues? Um I, I, I don't want it to be done in such a way that it points you out for doing this, but I want to learn, you know, what could the end result be if somebody goes out there and pays some money to a stream farm to get a hundred thousand streams. Um, is that something you've even maybe considered? Is that something, you know, somebody that had a bad issue with let let's, let's start talking about this problem because the more we talk about it, the, the more likely we're going to get the solutions in place. So head over to bandsintown.musicbizweeklypodcast.com. That's our community over on the Bands in Town Artist community. You can uh, leave your questions. You can leave your answers to the homework. You can ask us questions related to nothing about this show. If you've just got a music marketing, a music business related question, there's a lot of people besides Jay and myself who are around there that um, can jump in and respond. I guarantee you, you're going to find it a very um, educational and helpful community. So once again, bandsintown.musicbizweeklypodcast.com. And just a huge shout out. And thank you to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town for what you do to support us. And of course, to uh, our sponsor, discmakers.com. Everything all of you do means a lot to Jay and myself. And uh, that's it, everybody. We're going to see you next week.